to Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. If you're struggling with menstrual cramps, an achy, awful period pain feeling, or even mild but annoying monthly pain that's making you pop ibuprofen here and there, I've got some good news for you. The first is that there's nothing uniquely wrong with you. About half of all women are struggling right along with you, and there are reasons for this. And that brings me to the second bit of good news. I actually know what those reasons are. And today I'm going to give you the tools you need so period pain does not have to be your permanent status quo. In fact, it can, often in as few as three months, become a thing of the past. First, let's get clear on the pain we're talking about. We're talking about period pain that starts right around when your period starts. You might feel achy or crampy, and it can last for as long as three days of your period. This is called primary dysmenorrhea, and that's what we're talking about here. While it may also be accompanied by its nasty friends, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, backache, headache, and dizziness, this kind of period pain is, you might say, run-of-the-mill. That's a good thing because it means it's not likely being caused by any underlying medical issues, for example, endometriosis, which would be called secondary dysmenorrhea. You can use all of the information I'm discussing here for the pain of endometriosis as well. And all of the dietary and environmental information I share with you today is totally relevant. But you'll also want to see my blog on endometriosis or listen to that podcast because there are some special specific things that can help you turn endometriosis around. Also, if pain is happening at other times of the month or if it's kind of lasting all month long, then it's really important to get a proper medical evaluation to see what might else be going on. So what causes menstrual cramps and period pain? Well, it's almost always due to the overproduction of inflammatory chemicals called prostaglandins. There are basically two main groups of prostaglandins. There are the anti-inflammatory kind and the inflammatory kind. And it's the inflammatory kind that get your uterus to get all up in a bunch meaning it actually causes spasms, cramping, and pain that make you want to curl up with a bottle of Motrin, a heating pad, and the TV remote until it ends. The problem is that while Motrin and other non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, medications in this class that contain ibuprofen or similar drugs, may work like a charm to relieve the pain in your womb, and they are very effective for this, along with reducing heavy bleeding, they're not doing anything good for the rest of your body, and they can be doing harm. For example, even short-term use of ibuprofen or other NSAIDs for just as little as 5 to 14 days has been proven to cause fertility problems, stomach bleeding, and get this, heart attacks in women. The pill, or the birth control pill, is another drug that's commonly prescribed for period pain. Not only does it have equally, if not riskier, side effects to ibuprofen, it's also less effective for period pain than plain old NSAIDs. Studies show that it doesn't really work that well at all, so it's not something I recommend. Now, I'm not going to be the one to snatch your bottle of Motrin away from you, or from your teenage daughter if you're reading this for her, and I don't recommend that for you either. 
And frankly, taking a dose or two of ibuprofen on occasion, for example, you know, you need an emergency rescue for severe pain or pain that's going to, you know, keep you from showing up for your board exams or a job interview or your wedding or something like that, that's safe. But as a habit, even for a few days a month, it's not necessarily safe and it's certainly not healthy. The bottom line is that none of the pharmaceutical solutions are anything more than potentially risky band-aids. They don't get to the root causes of inflammation that are wreaking havoc, not only on your periods, but can be impacting other areas of your health without your even knowing it. So where is all this inflammation coming from? Sadly, we're all pretty much living in a sea of inflammatory triggers. And over time, Chronic inflammation affects our blood sugar, our immunity, our thyroid, our hormones, just to name a few of the hits that we take. And one of the biggest forms of inflammatory triggers, which also directly insults our hormone balance, are a group of chemicals that are all over the environment called endocrine disrupting chemicals or EDCs. These are environmental toxins that enter our bloodstream and mimic our own estrogen. But like our estrogen, it's estrogen on steroids. When it comes to menstrual cramps, what's happening is that these higher levels of circulating estrogen make the uterus, the lining of your uterus get thicker than it's supposed to be during periods. And it's that lining that gets shed when you have your period. That lining is what's coming out. A thicker lining means that your uterus has to do a lot more work of cramping and that causes pain in order to expel it. And in many women, you also experience heavier periods because you have a thicker lining to get rid of. Endocrine disrupting chemicals or EDCs also wreak all kinds of other havoc on our health. They damage our DNA. They trigger obesity and diabetes in many people. They wreak havoc on our immunity, leading to autoimmune conditions, including Hashimoto's, but pretty much any autoimmune condition can be a result of these chemical triggers. And they've also been shown to play a role in dementia. There are literally tens of thousands of EDCs in our environment and literally thousands of medical and scientific journal articles demonstrating exactly how they are not only causing inflammation, but they're a major cause of the hormonal suffering women are experiencing from menstrual problems to endometriosis, uterine fibroids, fertility challenges, breast and other forms of cancer. And they're also one of the most common causative factors in early puberty in so many of our daughters. Here's just a partial list of the sources of endocrine disruptors in our lives. We get them from residues that end up in our food, from herbicides, pesticides, antibiotics, and other pharmaceuticals that are directly acting as toxins and also directly increasing our estrogen. And this kind of estrogen is also very inflammatory. Plastics kind of off-gassing and leaching products end up in our food and in our body products and in our water in the form of phthalates and other plastic particles, residues that leach from food packaging and water bottles and again, cosmetics. Household furnishings and numerous other sources contain flame retardant chemicals that act as EDCs, household cleaners, paints, stains, and other commonly used chemicals, and then cosmetics and body products, including lotions, sunscreen, shampoo, conditioner, and so much more. Additionally, our diets 
are contributing to inflammation and our endocrine disruptor body burden, which means how much of these we're carrying around in a really big way. Processed foods, added sugars, poor quality oils, artificial ingredients, especially artificial sweeteners, and more all cause inflammation. But so can skipping meals and not getting enough of the nutrients your body desperately needs to support detoxification and elimination of these triggers, many of which we'll inevitably get from our environment despite our best efforts. So I know this is really serious stuff. And so what can you do about these triggers? Well, let's start with what we eat. A large recent study done in 2016 by the Centers for Disease Control found that in every single state in the United States, less than 16% of people are getting the amounts of fruits and vegetables that we need for basic health. In fact, in many of these states, people were getting under 14%. Now, keep in mind that the CDC standards are based on bare bones minimums for preventing disease. So they're actually already at about half the amount we need for optimal health. So people are only getting less than 16 or 14% of fruits and vegetables needed for bare bones minimum. Fruits and vegetables contain key phytonutrients or chemicals from plants that aren't the vitamins and minerals, but they're other things that act to protect our bodies from environmental toxins and you guessed it, prevent and reduce inflammation. So one of the key things we can do to improve our health and to protect ourselves from these environmental exposures and to reduce inflammation is to increase your intake of a wide variety of veggies, especially dark leafy greens, yellow and orange vegetables like sweet potatoes and winter squashes, and also onions and garlic, all of which actively support natural detoxification, reduce inflammation, and help clear excess estrogen from our system. Another really important thing to do is go organic. And look, this is not a trendy she-she thing I'm saying. I've gone organic now for 35 years. I don't eat every single thing organic. I will probably never buy a peach for $4.75 just because it's organic. But it really can make an enormous difference in our health. In fact, studies that have been done in adults and kids show that going organic for most of our produce and our dairy and meats just for three to five days can lead to a huge washout of chemicals. So you really can reduce your body burden and improve your health. Organics are easier to find and more affordable than ever. In fact, believe it or not, Walmart is one of the leaders in the United States now on organics. They're trying to make them a loss leader, keeping the price point down and making them really accessible. If you're on a tight food budget, and who isn't on a budget, you don't have to do everything organic to get rid of most of the toxins in your diet. Because animal fats hold the largest amount of environmental toxins, because most of these toxins are what are called lipophilic or fat-loving, they bind to fat cells in animals, they live there, they hang out, then they end up in our fat cells and they hang out there for a long time. And hormones are made from cholesterol, so they're fat-loving also. You want to make sure all of your meats are hormone and antibiotic-free, ideally whenever possible, free-range and grass-fed. And all dairy, if you include dairy in your diet, should be organic. For produce, check out the environmental working groups Clean 15 and Dirty Dozen as an easy guideline. The Clean 15 are the fruits and vegetables that are the least likely to be heavily contaminated, so you can eat those really comfortably 
with confidence, even if they're not organic. And the dirty dozen are the ones that are most likely to be most heavily pesticided or herbicided. So you want to generally avoid those, or if you're going to eat them, eat them only organic. For everything else, go organic as much as possible. And remember, again, your food packaging and your storage containers are sources of plastics that act as endocrine disruptors. So buy as little as possible that's wrapped or stored in plastic and and use only glass like life factory bottles or stainless steel like clean canteen for your water bottles. And then for home, use glass food storage containers. These are easily found at Target, Walmart, and on Amazon, and they're super affordable. They're dishwasher safe. They pretty much last forever. They're microwave safe. So if you microwave your food, you always want to make sure to microwave in glass, never plastic. So you have, you know, fridge to microwave, and some of them are even fridge to oven and certainly dishwasher safe. So they're a good investment. Mine last forever. They last for years. So think about clean 15, dirty dozen, organic dairy and meat only. That's where you really want to invest. And glass storage containers or glass and stainless steel for water bottles. Another thing you want to do is go Mediterranean. What I mean by that is Mediterranean diet. A Mediterranean style of eating has been shown to be the most effective of all types of diet for preventing and reversing excess inflammation. And why I say excess inflammation is you have to have a little bit of inflammation going on in your body. Inflammation protects you from infections, all kinds of important positive things it does. It's when inflammation's out of control that we start to have problems like menstrual cramps. So this way of eating also naturally contains the healthy types of plant nutrients that we need to block excess environmental estrogens and tends to be low in endocrine disrupting chemicals if you're getting most of your foods generally organic. So what is a Mediterranean style of eating? Basically, it means getting eight to 10 servings of vegetables or some combination of fruits and vegetables in your diet every single day olive oil, and I'm talking two to four tablespoons of olive oil a day, nuts, particularly almonds, walnuts, and pecans. Walnuts and pecans are very high in something called elagic acid, which is a powerful anti-inflammatory. And almonds, walnuts, and pecans are also a great source of healthy fats and healthy protein. Legumes, so your lentils, your peas, your beans, these are all very important for a healthy gut microbiome. And every study done on vegans and vegetarians or people, including even standard American diet, adding a few servings of legumes to their diet every week have been shown to have healthier microbiome, better cholesterol, lower weight, and for women, much less inflammation, which is really important for lower estrogen and healthier menstrual cycles. Legumes, veggies and fruits and whole grains all also provide the important fiber we need for daily elimination. We're supposed to have a bowel movement at least once every day. And what pooping does is not just get rid of the garbage, but it's specifically getting rid of estrogens that your liver has packaged for elimination. If you don't eliminate them, they recirculate through your intestine into your liver and back to your bloodstream as a much more toxic form of estrogen. So having a bowel movement every day is a really important part of healing your menstrual pain. Really, really, really important. These fibers also act as food for your microbiome. That's called prebiotics. 
And your microbiome is important for breaking down and packaging and eliminating those toxic compounds that you're getting from the environment, including those excess estrogen. If you've been reading about going lectin-free or eating a low-lectin diet, look, I'm just going to say it right here and right now. The science just isn't there for most people to take these out of the diet. And the only people that really might consider taking legumes and beans out of their diet are people who have a true sensitivity to them or people with certain autoimmune conditions, usually an autoimmune condition like psoriasis that's affecting the skin or joint pain like rheumatoid arthritis. For everyone else, taking these important sources of nutrients and fiber out of the diet is really potentially detrimental. And I will tell you, I sit on an advisory committee with Boyd Eaton, who is truly the first person who ever wrote about the paleo diet. He is the leading global researcher on the paleo diet. And he says himself that most people should be getting most of their protein from plant and vegetarian sources, including legumes and beans. So it's not true paleo to take all of those out of our diet. The other thing is that our paleo ancestors got about 100 grams a day of fiber from their diets, all from plants. Compare that to most of us in the U.S. who are getting about 15 grams a day. And the actual recommended daily amount is at least 30 grams a day. So not only is this affecting our gut flora and our ability to bind and get rid of those excess hormones, it's a huge colon cancer risk. So to go Mediterranean, you want to get all of the processed foods completely out of your diet, all added sugar out of your diet. It's very pro-inflammatory. And any unhealthy oils, any hydrogenated oils, really focus on olive oil, small amounts of coconut oil for cooking, uh, and butter and ghee, all fine, avocado oil, walnut oil, and make sure you're getting eight to 10 servings of vegetables and some fruits a day. You can combine that. So maybe six servings of vegetables, two servings of fruit. If you're not high glycemic, if you're not watching for diabetes or blood sugar imbalances, and the best fruits to get are really those dark black, blue, and red berries. Those are super high in these phytonutrients that are very protective and then they're lowest sugar fruits. Now, a primarily plant-based diet has been found to be especially beneficial for period pain. One study found that going vegetarian for just two months significantly reduced period pain, led to a couple of pounds of weight loss too. Keep in mind that there are healthful versions of being a vegetarian that rely on plenty of legumes, veggies, nuts, and seeds, and give you a healthy dose of good quality oils, and ones that rely mostly on quick carbs and gluten-free types of products, which aren't healthful or anti-inflammatory. And here's the thing, you don't have to go completely vegan or vegetarian to be mostly plant-based. If you're struggling hard with menstrual pain and heavy bleeding, I do recommend doing an ovo-pescatarian diet for two to three months. So most of your protein is either coming from legumes, nuts, and seeds, or a daily intake of eggs if you tolerate them and fish. And I'll talk about fish in just a minute. But you can also include other meats in your diet. You can include small amounts of poultry or red meat, but the operative word there is small amounts. So the primary bulk of what you're eating on your plate is substantially vegetables. And then think about using maybe four ounces of red meat as a condiment or six ounces of poultry added to a primarily vegetarian-based meal. 
do that for two to three months. And again, you can include small amounts of meat even in every meal or eggs in every meal, but make sure to get the legumes and the vegetable servings as well. I would be remiss not to let you know that dark chocolate is also very high in these plant compounds that are protective. So if you're craving a little bit of dark chocolate around your period, as long as you're not, you know, craving foods, all the sugar all the time, but you want a little something, something, a few ounces of dark chocolate is healthful, beneficial, great for your mood and no problem around entering your period. So another thing you want to think about doing is adding fish and omega-3s to your diet. Adding oil-rich salmon to your diet about four to six ounces, two to three times a week, or taking a supplement with omega-3 fats, about a thousand milligrams of EPA and 700 milligrams of DHA can be really helpful because omega-3s are very, very anti-inflammatory. Several research studies have found that fish oil at that dose leads to reduction in menstrual pain and also need for ibuprofen within just three months. So you take this every day, not just during your period. Make sure that if you do include salmon in your diet, especially if you're doing it several times a week, you get good quality salmon. And if you decide to include other fish in your diet, that's great too. Salmon is the most rich in the omega-3s, but make sure to include only low mercury fish to avoid adding to your body burden. And to find out which fish are low mercury, you can head over to the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. And any links that I mentioned, you'll find below this episode. So you can, you can quickly get over to them. Now, one common question I get is what about coffee? There are actually very few studies looking at the impact of coffee on menstrual pain, but one study did find a very significant correlation. I can tell you from my own clinical practice as a midwife and as a physician that over the decades, I have seen a very strong association with coffee and menstrual cramps. And usually when women quit the coffee, they stop having period pain. And this is usually people who are drinking coffee at least once, if not more than once a day. And I can tell you the only time in my entire life that I suffered from menstrual cramps was two months in a row. I was in medical residency. I had never been a coffee drinker before. And I was on overnight shifts, so I was drinking coffee to keep myself going on nights that I wasn't sleeping literally at all, sometimes two, three nights a week. And one night I was all of a sudden just like having these horrible cramps going, what the bejeebers is going on? And I, it probably started with an F though, not a B. And I, I was literally drinking a cup of coffee while I was thinking that to myself. I was like, oh, I know what this is. And I quit the coffee and my night rotations and the stress of residency didn't quit and the menstrual cramps completely went away. So giving up the liquid fuel is something you definitely want to try for two or three months while you're trying to get rid of the period pain. Once the period pain goes away and you want to add some coffee back in, you know, try it and see what your sweet spot is. If you can't drink it at all without period pain, I'm sure being period free is more enjoyable than the coffee. You can find other things to drink, green tea or chai. Um, and if you find that you can have a cup now and then with you know relative impunity without worrying about the period pain, then go for it and enjoy it. Now, there are a number of supplements in addition to improving the quality of our diets. Supplements are really meant to be supplements, not substitutes for our food. 
But we do know that there are quite a few nutrients that large studies have shown that women in the U.S. and in fact women internationally tend to be quite low in. Interestingly, it's some of these very same nutrients that have been found in studies when supplemented to help get rid of period pain. So more likely than not what's going on, and in fact, a couple of studies have shown that this is definitely what's going on, is that women started out low in these nutrients and getting to a healthy or optimal level got rid of the period pain. So they were probably low already. So there are a few that are very specific One is magnesium. Quite a few studies have found that supplementing magnesium can reduce menstrual cramps and aching. It's actually the first go-to in my practice and can also improve other symptoms related to your period like depression, sleep problems, and also restless leg, which some women find is worse around their periods. I recommend increasing up to about 600 milligrams a day for about five days before your period is due. And if you're generally feeling like you're having, you know, depression or other symptoms, anywhere from 300 to 500 milligrams a day in general is probably a good idea. And you can go up to 600 milligrams a day, even not before your period, just generally every day. I recommend magnesium glycinate for this, and I think you'll find that even if all you do was you know, get the inflammatory triggers out of your diet and add in magnesium, you might get some benefits. But several studies have also shown that optimizing our vitamin D levels can make a huge difference in menstrual pain. So one study, which I thought was crazy, was done in 2012, and it found that giving women a single high dose of 300,000 units, and yes, I am saying that right, 300,000 units to women between ages 18 and 40 who had blood levels below 45 nanograms per milliliter for four months in a row. Actually, after just two months or two menstrual periods, some women had pain scores decreased by almost half, and there were no improvements in the corresponding placebo group. Now, I would never recommend a dose of vitamin D at 300,000 units. The most I've ever recommended was 500,000 once a week. But what we do know is that we want the vitamin D level to be optimized. And that for most women is between about 50 and 70 on your blood work. And that staying in that optimal range in and of itself may improve menstrual pain for a significant number of women and really almost get rid of it, if not get rid of it altogether. Now, how do you get to a blood level of 50 to 70? Most women who take 2,000 to 4,000 units a day will achieve or maintain that level. It kind of depends on where you start out at. Now, it's absolutely safe for pretty much everyone to supplement with 2,000 units a day. And frankly, for most people, unless you're already too high, safe to take 4,000 units a day. So if you have severe menstrual cramps and you, and you can't get your blood level tested for whatever reason, starting out at 4,000 units a day, unless you have a kidney problem, that's different than you want to talk with your nephrologist or primary doctor and staying on that for about three months and then dropping down to 2,000 units and just staying on that every day as a maintenance dose because we're very rarely getting enough vitamin D from our diet or sunlight even combined. And then just stay on that. But if your menstrual pain is severe, you may need more elevated dosing, in which case you definitely want to work with your doctor or your nurse practitioner or some naturopath to get yourself to that adequate range if you have to do it by going over 4,000 units a day. So you know, a couple of quick things. 
that we've talked about already that I want to emphasize, if you're only going to do a few things, do the omega-3 supplements, do the magnesium and do the vitamin D, and then do the basic you know, dietary cleanout that we talked about for three months. And that in of itself is a really solid protocol. Now, there are some other supplements you can use. 100 milligrams a day of vitamin B1, also called thiamine, has been shown to improve, significantly improve even severe menstrual pain. And the recommendation is to take it for three months and see if there's improvement. So if you have severe menstrual pain, you might want to add that in to the protocol of the omegas, the magnesium, and the D, along with the dietary, you know, lower inflammatory diet. But if you're going to stay on the B1 at that dose for more than three months, then take it in addition to a B complex. You don't want to exceed 100 milligrams a day. So get a complete B complex and then add in the difference to make it up to 100 milligrams a day. Because sometimes when we take just one B vitamin by itself, we actually imbalance the others. So after three months, balance it out with a vitamin B complex. Another, and this is the last of the nutrients that I'm going to talk about that's been found to be helpful is vitamin E. And it's been used for decades for menstrual pain, for breast te- cyclic breast tenderness. And the dose is 400 units a day, which for pretty much everyone is a reasonably safe dose. And like the other herbs that I'm about to mention, this one you start a few days before your period and then you continue it through your period. You don't have to take it every single day. The omegas, the magnesium, and the D, I do recommend actually taking every day, not just during your period. Now, another piece, a few pieces that are really important aside from diet and nutrients are keeping your gut really healthy. I mentioned that having your gut be healthy is really important for taking out the daily garbage, right? Getting rid of that excess estrogen that we're often getting from our environment. Another thing that's really important is a healthy gut flora. And I mentioned that the health of the microbiome is important for helping to break down, package, and eliminate those estrogens that our body's trying to excrete through our bowels. So how do you do that? Well, in addition to adding in the fiber that I mentioned through your diet, adding in a daily dose, a few tablespoons of some form of lacto-fermented vegetables like sauerkraut or kimchi, or a quarter to a half a cup of naturally pickled, so lacto-fermented vegetables is a great way to do it. If you tolerate dairy, a small amount of unsweetened live active culture or kefir a few times a week, you know, half a cup is plenty, and raw milk is actually ideal as long as you're not pregnant, can really make a difference in the health of your gut flora. In fact, I just had dinner recently with one of the leading mycobacterial researchers in the world, and he did a study and found that women who were had completely eliminated dairy from their diet had some pretty significant imbalances in their gut flora leading to dysbiosis. So if you tolerate dairy, and about half of all people tolerate dairy well, without it being a source of inflammation, you can get you know, you can get that uh, yogurt or kefir into your diet. Now, if you're if you're eating dairy and you're having he- heavy menstrual cramps, I usually do recommend as part of the three-month protocol, take it out completely because if it is inflammatory for you or a trigger for you, the only way you'll know is by taking it out. Now, dairy has to be organic because even with organic dairy, you're going to get some hormones from the animal that it came from. It's it's in the milk. But for non 
organic dairy, you're getting so many environmental estrogens and endocrine disruptors that the harm is more than the good. And if you do use dairy, you want to make sure to get full fat because studies are show that it's better for our health overall. Women who eat full fat dairy have fewer fertility problems than women who eat low fat. And low fat dairy is much higher in lactose, natural sugars. So not as optimal. Now, if you don't eat dairy and you don't like lacto-fermented vegetables, or even if you do like lacto-fermented vegetables or dairy, getting a probiotic can be really helpful to keep your estrogen levels healthy in that first few months or first three months while you're on this protocol. So we definitely want to think about taming our stress and sleeping better. Not getting enough sleep can increase the amount of period pain you get and also reduces our ability to cope with it, increasing our perception of pain. Poor sleep also leads directly to inflammation due to disruption in circadian rhythm and our cortisol cycles. And I give you some links to learn more about that below this podcast. One study found that having insomnia caused women to report higher levels of more severe dysmenorrhea and to have greater interference from their period pain with their daily activities than women without insomnia. And circadian disruption has definitely been found to be associated with disturbances in all manner of women's hormonal health, including menstrual function. Stress has a similar impact on us. So bringing in some daily practices that can reduce your stress, for example, yoga, meditation, dancing, a hot shower, you know, a hot bath, time in nature, even reading a book curled up in a chair with your favorite mug of tea, all of these can help you support that mind-body connection and reduce inflammation. And um, check out the articles that are linked below on how to get your sleep groove back on and how to reset your circadian rhythm. And stay tuned for my book, The Hidden Hormone Epidemic. It's coming out in January of 2019 with Harper One. And this is all going to be, you know, we're going to deep dive in with plans and things that you can do, but this is a great place to get started. All right. You want to get rid of dirty looks and get your house clean and greener. Going clean and green with your cosmetics, it's true. It does take a little more work and it may be a little more pricey upfront, but I promise you when it comes not just to your period pain, but your long-term health, it's definitely a pay now or a pay later situation. And the only thing is you're going to pay now with a little bit more money or you're going to pay later with your health, which always ends up being paying with your money too. Several of my colleagues post quite a bit about their favorite cosmetics, and some of these actually have quite a reasonable price point too. So check out my friend, crazy, sexy author, Chris Carr. Chris is living well with cancer, and she's very committed to not only what she puts on her body and in her body, but helping you to make healthier choices as well. And she reviews clean cosmetics. Also, my friend Alexandra Jameson, who's the co-producer of the groundbreaking movie that came out before all the, you know, hot topic movies on healthy eating, Super Size Me. She's also the author of the fabulous book, Women, Food, and Desire. She has a whole section on her website dedicated to healthier beauty. Clean and green housekeeping is actually super easy. There's not much that white vinegar, baking soda, and some lemon can't handle, but several companies, including Seventh Generation, Ecovare, and others, make absolutely affordable products. Many of them you can buy in bulk for everything from your dishes to your floors to your laundry. So much easier than going clean with your cosmetics and also really important 
for both cosmetics and clean housekeeping products, the Environmental Working Group is my go-to site for my, my patients. It's the one that I recommend the most. And they have all kinds of product reviews, registries, and guides. So you can actually go onto the Environmental Working Group and pull out your mascara that you have in your drawer right now, or in your, in your, in your handbag, you can pull out your lipstick and you can look it up. And if the company's not there, it doesn't mean it's not a good company. They just didn't review it, but they're pretty good. They've got tens of thousands of reviews up there. So, um, you know, try to go with some of the companies that are up there and they'll give you a rating on a one to five scale on how healthy and safe those products are for you. All right. So we're going clean and green. We're cleaning up our diet, going organic with our dairy getting eight to 10 servings of fruits and vegetables every day, going Mediterranean. Sounds like a lot of stuff, but it's pretty basic and it's really not just a key to healthier periods, but to living a long life with a lot of healthy years in your life. So I want to share with you now, I want to kind of switch gears a little bit. These are all sort of the lifestyle things that we do. I want to share with you something that I've been using for over three decades, and that is herbal medicine. I love turning to herbs first. And in my medical practice, in my personal life, I actually don't have any pharmaceuticals in my house. I've got Band-Aids because sometimes I cut myself when I'm cooking and my grandkids, they always love Band-Aids. But we, we really don't have pharmaceuticals here. We don't have toxic household cleaners in my house. You could come and do an audit if you don't believe me, but it's really true. It's not that I wouldn't use pharmaceuticals when I need them, and uh, I certainly do, but both in my medical practice, in my practice as an herbalist and midwife, and for myself, I always go to mind, body, food, and herbs first. So to me, turning to herbs is turning to nature. And we actually have some really good studies on the benefits of quite a number of herbs for menstrual pain and also menstrual pain with heavy bleeding. So my recommendation would be to, you know, how to create a plan for yourself is make the dietary changes, add the magnesium, the vitamin D and the omega-3s, possibly the thiamine if you have heavy period pain, and then pick one or two of the remedies that I'm about to share with you. If after a couple of cycles, two to three menstrual cycles or months, you don't see substantial change, then you can swap in or change out some of the strategies, you know, you can add in maybe the vitamin E, you could add in some of the different herbs. Now, the main go-to herb for menstrual pain and also menstrual pain with heavy bleeding in my practice is ginger root. But both ginger root and cinnamon bark have been found, and they're pretty similar if you think about them, right? These are pumpkin pie spices or, or chai spices. They're anti-inflammatory. Uh, they've been used for centuries in Ayurvedic, Chinese, and Western herbal medicine for abdominal pain, cramping pain of all kinds, and, and pain and inflammation in general. Ginger root, for example, is used for migraine headaches and low back pain really effectively. And 500 milligrams has been shown to be equally effective to taking a dose of ibuprofen for pain. So ginger is widely respected as an anti-inflammatory, and there are several studies that are pretty impressive for menstrual cramps, menstrual pain, and heavy bleeding. And the most reliable and easy way to take it is as a powder in capsules. The effective dose for menstrual cramps is considered to be 500 milligrams three times a day, but up to 3,000 milligrams can be taken safely. So you can take 
500 milligrams three times a day, 1,000 milligrams three times a day, or 500 milligrams six times a day, depending on how much pain you have and what your sensitivity is and how much you need to take to get comfortable. Interestingly, ginger can also help with the nausea, vomiting, bloating, and headaches that also can come along with crampy periods. Cinnamon has been found to be similarly effective for reducing pain, heavy menstrual bleeding, nausea, and vomiting associated with primary dysmenorrhea. And the dose in the most impressive study was 400 milligrams of cinnamon bark powder in capsules, and then two capsules are taken three times a day for the first three days of the period. Same with the ginger. You take it for the first three days of the period. I don't have as much experience with the cinnamon in my in my medical or midwifery practice. I do have extensive experience with the ginger, so that's where I always start, but you can use either of them interchangeably and safely. Now, herbalists have a wide pharmacy of herbs that we use for relieving menstrual cramps, and the most common is probably the herb that's actually called cramp bark. Both cramp bark and its cousin, black haw, that's spelled H-A-W, a haw means a fruit of a tree, um, have been used for centuries in, in European herbal medicine and in herbal medicine in the U.S. for the relief of women's monthly pain. And now keep in mind that this is preventative. It's not, I'm sorry, it's not preventative. This is treatment for actual pain. So this is what you would go to the ginger or the cinnamon or, or any of these other herbs to treat the pain the way you would go to ibuprofen. It's just that these are all completely devoid of the side effects. You don't have to worry about heart attack. You don't have to worry about interfering with your fertility or a stomach bleed from these herbs. They're really tried and true. There are some herbs that do have side effects, but the ones I'm talking about today are are really very, very safe. So you can hold on to your bottle of Motrin and use it, like I said, for that, you know, quick fix emergency need, but you can go to these herbs first and you can go to these herbs for a few hours. And if you're not getting the relief you need, you can always add in the the ibuprofen if you need to. So black haw and cramp bark are pretty interchangeable and the dose of them can be either 30 to 40 drops of either one of those every few hours or up to one measured teaspoon. That's about five milliliters, three times a day. The way I like to use these is a combination of equal parts of cramp bark, black haw, and my absolutely personal favorite herb, motherwort, which is also great, not just for easing the discomfort of cramps, but also for emotional irritability during your period. So whether you take any of those separately or in combination, the dose is what I mentioned, the 30 to 40 drops every few hours or up to one measured teaspoon three times a day. Whenever you use alcohol tinctures, you want to put them in about a quarter cup of warm water. You don't want to take, or it can be cold water too. You don't want to take the tinctures directly in your mouth because over a long period of time, alcohol in the mouth is a, is a risk for um, oral cancer. It's very small with the tinctures, but just put it in water. Now, another surprising herb for menstrual cramps is valerian. We usually think of valerian for sleep, but one study actually found that 225 milligrams a day for the first three days of the period dramatically reduced menstrual cramps compared to placebo, and it's also a very safe herb. At that dose, it probably won't make you sleepy, but take care by trying it on, you know, for the first time 
on a day off from work and when you're not driving. If it does make you sleepy, use it for nighttime. Take the first dose in the evening and then another dose before bed, and that'll help you sleep with menstrual, you know, get rid of the menstrual cramps so you can sleep better instead of having to pop some ibuprofen to do that. Now, we typically hear about black cohosh for menopause, but it's another classic herb, not just for menstrual cramping and pain, but specifically for low backache and that pulling sensation that you might get in the back of your thighs that sometimes comes along with period pain. And because it increases dopamine, you could get a little mood boost from it also. Black kosh can be combined with any of the other herbs I've mentioned here. You can combine it with that tincture combination to split the dose by equal parts of all four herbs, cramp bark, black haw, uh, motherwort, and black kohosh. And in that case, the dose is about a half a teaspoon two to three times a day if you're going to use it alone or in the dose I mentioned in combination. Or you can take capsules of it 250 milligrams four times a day. And again, any of these are safe in combination. A recent study found that fenugreek seed is also beneficial for period pain. There were about 100 women who received either 900 milligrams of ground fenugreek seed in capsules three times a day or placebo, again, for the first three days of their periods for two cycles in a row. And both placebo and fenugreek treatment showed lower pain levels, but after two months, the decrease in the fenugreek was far more statistically significant. So again, very safe. Can use this alone if you want to try it first or use it in combination with anything I've mentioned so far. So you could do ginger capsules and a fenugreek capsule, and then also do the tincture if you're really struggling with heavy period pain. So that's, you know, kind of a different, you can create your own combination. Dongwei or Dongkwai, as some people call it, is a Chinese herb that's classically used in women's health, and it can be really helpful in reducing menstrual cramps. It's antispasmodic, and in Chinese medicine, it's said to help with improving the flow of blood and qi. It improves energy and blood flow to the pelvis. The tricky part is that because of that, it can also increase menstrual bleeding if you take it right before or during your period. So this is probably not a remedy for you if you have a heavy bleeding, unless you use it under the guidance of a skilled herbalist, acupuncturist who knows how to combine it with other herbs to prevent that. But if you don't have heavy periods, it might be something that you can consider trying or adding in if you haven't gotten quite the relief you want with the other strategies. Now, some of my other favorite tips include really common sense things like Believe it or not, making, maybe this wouldn't be so common sense, but it's something I have observed many times in my patients over the decades is switching from tampons to pads. A lot of women find that making that simple switch brings them huge relief from their menstrual cramps. So think about doing that. Certainly it's totally okay during your period to hug up with a hot water bottle, take an Epsom salts and lavender oil soak. If you, you know, if being in the in a tub on your period works for you if that doesn't bother you or you're not bleeding too heavily. Practice women's restorative yoga during your period. One thing that you might want to consider is a subscription to Yoga Glow. I have no affiliate relationship with Yoga Glow. I just love it. And I personally have a subscription. And the first 15 days are totally free. After that, it's $18 a month and you can streaming download any number of yoga classes that you want. So considering that's about the price of going to one or two yoga classes, you can get yoga in your own home. In their uh, catalog of uh, yoga videos, 
There is a gorgeous uh, restorative yoga practice with Elena Brower that you will probably find so fantastic to do during your moon time, during your period. And uh, that is totally appropriate during your cycle. And then in between periods, practice yoga asanas to relieve period pain by improving pelvic circulation, stretching, releasing tension in your pelvis. It can make a huge difference. Studies have also shown that aromatherapy with lavender, clary sage, and rose have improved period pain and so has massage. So think about this, doing yoga between your periods, doing the yoga glow restorative yoga class on your cycle, using aromatherapy oils during your period, and then getting periodic, not during your period, but getting massage periodically. And I particularly recommend our Vigo pelvic massage. Actually, Rosita Arvigo is a friend and colleague. She moved to Belize a few decades ago and sort of ended up nudging her way into a uh, apprenticeship and ended up becoming the main apprentice to the late Don Elijo, who was her mentor, who passed on his traditions to her, his, his Belizean shaman healing traditions and uh, Mayan traditions. And one of these was abdominal massage, a form of abdominal massage that's really beneficial for the pelvis. And so many women have told me over the years that they have found this to be tremendously beneficial for them. There are no studies that I know of on Arvigo pelvic massage, but I do recommend it in my medical practice. And you can look online and find a certified Arvigo practitioner. I want to share some final thoughts on the mind, body, and pain connection, particularly around our periods. There are a few different kind of trains of thought I have here. One is that many studies done in anthropology show that our attitudes about menstruation, birth, and menopause are culturally shaped and influence how we experience these aspects of being a a woman. And in our culture, having your period, getting older and going through menopause and birth are portrayed for the most part pretty horribly with rare exception. And we internalize these attitudes, which are all around us, from the time we're young girls. Now, we are seeing some shifts with some period positive and body positive movements, but overall, that's not that's not the predominant messaging. And, you know, it's really hard to not have a hate-hate relationship with your period if it's leaving you curled up in a ball, you know, once a month or struggling to get through your days and popping ibuprofen. But weirdly, making friends with your period, reframing your attitude and your relationship to that time of the month. Can you start looking forward to it? I mean, I don't know that I've ever actually been like, hooray, my moon time is here. But I will tell you, you know, being 51 and on the verge of the international average age of menopause, which is 52, there are moments when I look forward to being period free, usually when I have my period and I don't struggle with menstrual cramps at all or heavier, uncomfortable periods. I mean, it's not fun. It's not convenient. I don't like going on vacation to the beach and suddenly, you know, my period's there. I don't like thinking about, am I going to be wearing white pants or a white dress on stage when I'm teaching in front of 500 people and having my period? But the thought of not having it anymore really makes me so aware of what a powerful thing our hormone cycles are and how how much honoring that can make a difference in embracing that part of our lives. And I think that for me, 
I started out on my midwifery path, my herbal medicine path, when I was 15. And for me, that included honoring a very close relationship to the feminine, to the goddess in all of us, to our my inner wise woman, and to nature. And so I have spent the last almost four decades now of my life having it dark in my room at night, never having ambient light other than the moonlight coming in, harmonizing my cycle that way to the cycles of nature, honoring my circadian rhythm, and honoring my fertile time, paying attention to what my creative energy was like at my fertile time, paying attention to what that need is to go within or maybe journal or be more quiet and not say yes to that party or that thing I don't have to accept or do during my menstrual cycle, during my period. And I think that for me, that has been a huge reason actually why I haven't struggled with any hormonal problems, frankly, ever in my life. And also being on that low inflammatory, you know, really whole foods, natural foods type of diet. And please notice I'm not using the words clean and diet or clean and our bodies together. We'll talk about that together in another podcast. I want to do a podcast on are we too clean for our own good? But I feel like for women, you know, our, our periods have been sanitized by the media. Uh, the fact that we might bleed through our our pad onto our underwear or onto our bedding. It's such a sort of almost taboo and embarrassing topic for women to talk about. And check this out, ladies. Guess what the word taboo means? It is the Polynesian word for menses. So let's talk about talking about this being something we've been kind of covertly told not to do for most of our lives. So how can you reframe and re-embrace that relationship to your period, even if just getting closer to nature, getting closer to your own circadian rhythm, having natural rhythms of light and dark in your room, and getting your diet closer to a natural diet, a healthier diet, getting curious about what that does to your cycle and for your cycle uh, so that you can look forward to, oh, I'm going to look forward to seeing what happens this month now that I've made these changes. And I want to sum up with one final thought that may be a little bit controversial, but uh, it's something that I've given quite a lot of thought to. Sometimes women tell me that the only time they can ever hit the pause button in their life, you know, it's the only time they can get their partner to watch the kids for a few days or even just a day is when they get a symptom. So for some women, it's migraines. For some women, it's something else. But for a lot of women, and, and believe me, over the course of my practice and my life and my work, I have reached hundreds of thousands of women. And I have heard from hundreds of my, my, my website alone reaches a million women a year. And I read all my emails. I get lots and lots of information in. I teach all over the country. I hear that women are u- not using intentionally, but their, their first few days of their period when they're having those cramps is the only time they can feel their own justification for asking for help, for hitting the pause button, and for just, you know, laying low for a few days. So one of these questions, and and I had one patient, she was the mom of three young kids, and she told me her period pain was her doorway to time to herself. When I was in my late teens, early 20s, I remember Susan Weed teaching a class that I went to. Susan and I have been friends for almost 30 years now. And this was when I first met her. And in the class, she raised a really powerful question. And at the 
First time I heard it, I thought, wow, that's a little bit woman blaming. But if you bear with me on this and and think about this, it's really actually quite powerful. And it's now a question I ask myself and I ask my patients. And the question is this, is there another way I can get my needs met without having to have a symptom that gives me permission to pause? I'm going to repeat that. Is there another way I can get my needs met without having to have a symptom that gives me permission to pause? Now, this doesn't mean that we create period pain on purpose, of course not, any more than we create migraines or anything else on purpose. But the mind-body connection is powerful. And sometimes our bodies are screaming out with symptoms when we're not listening any other way. That's certainly the case with dietary and environmental triggers and inflammation and estrogen load. It causes our body to scream out with a symptom. We get period pain. Perhaps the same thing is happening with stress overload. So let's look at our lives and how we can make the changes we need and give ourselves permission to afford the foods and the cosmetics that aren't literally poisoning us with endocrine disruptors, but also the time that we need to hit the pause button and make self-care a revolutionary act of social defiance that gives us the permission to live comfortable, pain-free lives now and long, healthy lives with a lot of years in our life and a lot of life in our years. See you next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Natural MD Radio. If you did, please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. It's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time.